Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris. I am pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Welcome to those of you in Franklin, those in the overflow. We love you so much. God bless you. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 this morning. Matthew chapter 13. Started a message series last week, just taking some time between now and Easter, looking at the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew parables of Jesus. Some folks these days would say that uh, they believe preaching ought to be verse by verse. That's, that's how preaching should be. And, and I love verse by verse preaching. I, I really do. Problem is, that's just not how Jesus preached. And so whenever we get very narrow and very dogmatic about how preaching ought to be, uh, I guess the Bible is always there to bring us back to reality. Jesus never spoke to Scripture, says he never spoke without a parable. And so in digging into these parables, we're getting very, very close to how Jesus uh, actually talked and, and, and spoke to folks about the, the kingdom of God. Tim Hawkins is a comedian who says that in the world there are basically two different kinds of people. There are Jeopardy people and there are Wheel of Fortune people. Do you know which one you are? There are Jeopardy people and Wheel of Fortune people. Jeopardy people are the ones who stand there and say, I'll take algorithms for a thousand, Alex. You've seen that show? I'll take algorithms for a thousand. Wheel of Fortune people are the ones who say, I have an L. I have an L. You've seen the show. You know the difference. I, I want to buy a vow. I'll take an L. You know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Two kinds of people, Wheel of Fortune people and Jeopardy people. And the thing is in the world, we're all mixed in together. And that's sort of the message that Jesus wants to bring in this parable today. There are two kinds of people. You find them everywhere and always right next to one another. And honestly, that's a big problem for us. In the parable of the wheat and the weeds, Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus tells this story in the middle of his preaching along with other stories. And then in a moment, the disciples pull him aside and they say, tell us what that meant. And then this is one of those parables that Jesus will stop and explain. He'll, he'll interpret it for the disciples. And so we're going to read both of those instances, the parable and then the explanation. And we're going to start in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 13. Uh, listen uh, to the word of the Lord. Here is another story Jesus told. The word there, the Greek word is not story. The Greek word is parable, parabole. It means to cast alongside. Another one of those stories that Jesus tells. It's a story that he cast alongside your life. And as you listen and learn from this story, you will be learning about your life. And here is another parable Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce again, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. Verse 29, no, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them and put, them, put the wheat in the barn. Then verse 36, then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house and his disciples said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. 
The harvest is the end of the world and the harvesters are angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. It's a tough one. That's a tough one. I'm going to give you a statement. You tell me if it's true or false. Don't answer out loud. We'll vote with our hands, okay? Listen to the statement first. Here's the statement. True or false? Churches are made of good Christian people. Churches are made up of good Christian people. Everybody who says that, that's true, raise your hands. Churches are made up of good Christian people. Yeah. In the overflow, Franklin, raise your hands. Churches are made of good Christian people. True? Okay, how many of you say false? Some of you aren't voting. Why aren't you voting? Why is that a tough question? Because it is a tough question. If you noticed, I voted twice, and I did. I think it's true. Churches are made up of good Christian people. That's true. But I also think it's false. They're not. What am I saying? What is the difficulty that we find when we come to church? That churches are made up of all kinds of people. All kinds of people. And honestly, that causes some difficulty for a whole lot of folks, whole lot of folks. But recently I've been sharing the gospel with an older gentleman who's a very, very good man, an extremely good man who really never in his life went to church. He never went to church. He did not know the gospel. He did not know Christ. And honestly, he was a very, very difficult man to lead to Christ. You want to know why? Because the primary question that he kept coming up against was the question of, why do I need Jesus? Why do I need Jesus to be like all of those church people? Because he knew good and well that he was better than most people who go to church. And he had that much pride to say so. But he really believed that, and honestly, it was true. This was a very, very good man, a very honest man, a man of his word, a man of discipline, a man who knew how to work, a man who was faithful, a man who in every way was an example of what we all should want to be. The problem is he didn't know Christ, and you couldn't convince him he needed Christ because he could take a look around at most of the people who go to church, and he could see that he didn't need what they had. He didn't want to be like them. If you've done a lot of talking to the people in the world about the church or about coming to Christ, it's one of the number one complaints you'll hear, that the church is full of hypocrites, that all of the church people are phonies and fakes, and they don't need to go to church and sit there among all of the hypocrites. Haven't you heard that before? Because I hear it all the time, all the time, and not just from people outside. As a pastor, as your pastor, I hear you complain nearly all the time about the people you go to church with. Don't act like I'm not talking to you. It's what we do. It's frustrating, isn't it? It's just frustrating because often the reality of being in the church doesn't match our expectations. We expect that when we come to the church, we will be in the company of very, very good people, the best people in the world, the salt of the earth. 
honest people, good people, people who will never ever sit in your pew, people who will never ever take your parking place, people who will never ever forget your name, never fail to shake your hand, people who will visit you when they're sick, they will bring you flowers, people who will buy you a car if you, if you lose your wheels, you understand that's what we expect. That church people are going to be the most amazing, most wonderful people. And then we come to church. Then we get to church and what do we find out? There are some really, really good people here. And there are some real dorks here. There are some very, very difficult people. And some really, really good people all mixed in together. And that's difficult. It's really difficult and it's very hard to explain. We're kind of like the servants of the farmer who woke up that morning and they went out to the field where they did their work, the big wheat field, and they walked out one morning and they realized that this beautiful wheat field, that they know that their master sowed with good seed, all of the sudden the good seed is coming up, but also coming up in the middle are weeds, weeds, and this is their dilemma. How did the weeds get there? Why are the weeds here? Our master is raising a crop of good, good wheat, and he planted all good seed. Why are there weeds in the wheat? Why? What does the master say? My enemy. My enemy has done this. Thing is, you wouldn't even know that the enemy had slipped in. That's part of the story. He slips in at night when nobody's paying attention, when nobody's looking. And what has he done? The enemy in the story, he plants weeds. He plants weeds right there in the middle of where the farmer had planted good wheat. He plants weeds. And understand, in the Greek language that the Bible is originally written in, this New Testament story we're looking at, written in Greek, it's not just a general word for weed here. It's a very specific word. It's a species of plant that everybody in Jesus' day would have known. The old word is, is tear. The old story is the wheat and, and the tares. The, the Greek word here is, is for tares or darnel. It's a particular kind of weed that they all knew. And the thing about the Darnell is that it looked exactly like wheat. It looked just like the wheat. It's very, very difficult to tell in the field where the wheat was and where the Darnell was. The Darnell looked so much like wheat you could hardly tell. As a matter of fact, you really wouldn't know until the very end when both the wheat and the tares began to, to, to bear their fruit, that their heads would come in. And the Darnell had black seeds at the tip. And the Darnell was poisonous. It was poisonous. And it was actually a rather difficult and dangerous thing to get Darnell in your wheat. Because if you got too many of the little bitty black seeds in your bread dough, Darnell could cause blindness or even death. So understand, when the enemy comes and sows Darnell, sows the tares among the wheat, this means he's sowing poison. This is potentially a devastating and very, very dangerous act to sow darnel, to sow tares, to sow the weeds in with the wheat. This is a story that Jesus tells, and when it's over, the disciples are scratching their heads. They really don't understand it. And so when the crowds are gone, the twelve, when they've got Jesus alone in the house, they say, Jesus, go back to that story about the wheat and the tares. Go back to that and explain to us what that means. Jesus says, well, 
The field is the world. The field is the world. And the farmer is the son of man. And he's sowing the good seed, which are the people of the kingdom. Understand there, understand part of what this story reveals, what this parable reveals, is that God's work in the world involves people. It always involves people. I know that God loves all of the creatures that he has created. God loves the trees and God loves the soil. God loves everything that he has made and everything he has made is good and everything is beautiful. But the real focus of God's love and the real focus of God's activity in the world is people. God loves people. People and God focuses on people, and God's whole game, God's whole point the point of creation is about people, saving people, transforming people, bringing them into His kingdom. This is what God is doing. Everything God is doing has to do with people, making people to come into the kingdom of God. If you've noticed, anything that involves people gets messy. Anything that involves people gets very, very complicated. Now, why is that? Do you know people? People are messy. People are complicated. And the church is messy and complicated. The great commission that Jesus gives us is to go into all of the world and preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to all of creation, the Bible says. You've got to understand, when you stand out and invite everybody in the whole world to come in, you shouldn't be surprised who shows up. If you go out and invite the whole world to come to Jesus, you just really shouldn't be very surprised that the whole world's going to come in. And they're going to come in messy, and they're going to come in with their problems, they're going to come in complicated. And God knows this. This is a mess. The field of the world is a mess because it involves people, all kinds of people. It's a mess, but it's God's mess. The church is a mess, but it's God's mess. Do you understand that? Because there's an enemy. God has an enemy. We have an enemy. And Jesus says the enemy is the devil. And the devil has an amazing kind of strategy. God's work is all about people. And his focus is on saving and transforming people. And understand, that takes time. God's work demands incredible patience on God's part. Because we don't change easily. And we don't change quickly. And God is transforming us all of the time. And changing us and bringing us into his kingdom. Making us to be a kingdom of priests, the scripture says. We're nowhere close to that. That's going to take time. And God knows it takes time. And the enemy takes advantage of that and goes into the good field and he sows wheat. I mean, sorry, he sows weeds, he sows tares, he sows his own imposters. Look like God's people, smell like God's people, but you can't always tell. The devil puts his people, the evil ones, right there in the middle, even in the church. It's messy. It's very, very difficult, and it's alarming for some of us. When some people wake up in the morning and they take a look at the church, and they realize that it's not exactly what they expected. They look at the church and realize they're really, really good people, and some horrible people all mixed in together every Sunday morning. It's alarming. As the story goes, the servants of the farmer say, listen, would you like us to clean that up for you? 
It's a mess. Would you like us to step in there and start pulling out the weeds? And what does the farmer say? No. No. I won't be needing you to do that. Do you understand? The church is a mess. But it's God's mess. And God is the one in charge, and God is the one who is developing us, and God is the one who is overseeing it all, and God will see it all the way through to the end, all the way to the harvest. The problem comes up when you and I start thinking that we're going to clean it up for him. That we're going to be the ones to sort out the weed from the wheats. That we're the ones who can sort out the imposters, the counterfeits, the phonies from the true believers. We start thinking we can do that. And God says, no, no, that's not going to be your job. You know why that's not going to be our job? Because we're really not as good as we think we are at telling the real people from the phony people. We're really not as good as we think we are. Years ago, when, when Casey and I first got married, I, I started pulling this particular kind of prank on her. And honestly, she never deserved it. Casey is a good, good woman, a godly woman, a good wife. I can't believe that she's married to me. She never deserved it. But she worked third shift. And so I'd be in bed when she would come in after a long, long night of working as a nurse at the hospital. And I would wake up just before she would come, and I don't know how I started, but one morning I just decided to get out of bed and then get the pillows and make like a, a fake pillow person under the covers. It would look like me, but I'd go hide in the closet. Now, you all remember, I'm an art major. I'm good at this. I am the Picasso of, of, of fake pillow people. So I would get pillows, and I would lay it out. I mean, I would make it look just like me laying in bed. And then I slipped off, and, and I waited in the closet. I heard Casey pull in. I heard her keys in the door. She comes up the steps. I mean, Casey, she, my wife is so wonderful. She came in that first day, and she sat down real quiet on the bed beside the fake pillow person. She came, and she said, good morning, baby. Good morning, baby. You are sleeping so soundly. You're so quiet. I had such a good night at work. And she started telling me about her whole night at work. I'm in the closet. She's talking to the fake pillow person. Oh, it's such a night at work. And I mean, I am just in there busting. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. And finally, I just bust out laughing. <laughs> in the closet. It makes her so mad. It makes her so mad. But that was so much fun. So much fun. I did it again the next day. Next day, same thing. You would think she learned, but the next day, you no, know, the same thing. She comes in the same way the next day. She comes and says, hey, baby, hey, good morning. And then she realizes it's, it's a fake pillow person. Man, it is so good. It's the best prank ever. The next day, I know that my wife is not crazy. I know that she won't keep falling for this. So the next day, I try to lay under the covers and look like a fake pillow person. You know what I mean? I, I covered my head. I tried to look a little extra lumpy. I lay there like I was a fake person. You know, this isn't working. Day after day, Casey started to get a little more angry. She catches on a little more quickly. That particular day, she comes up. She throws the covers back at me. She says, good morning. <laughs> next day, next day, fake pillow person. I'm in the closet. Casey comes in. She does not say good morning. She does not sit by the bed. She walks over the bed and goes, wham! <laughs> I'm in the closet. I said, Casey. If that hadn't been me, that could have really hurt. She said, yes, it would have. Yes, it would have. Point I'm making, 
Casey really was not very good at telling the fake person, the fake dummy me from the real dummy me. She really wasn't very good at telling the, the false from the real as much as she thought she could. And eventually the only real technique she had was to come in and just clobber it and hope it was me. <laughs> Jesus says it's not going to be your job to weed out the, the, the poison people from the church. That's really not going to be your job. Yes, they are among us. Yes, they are dangerous. Yes, they are false and phony. And yes, they belong to the evil one. But it's not going to be your job. Because you really aren't as good as you think you are at distinguishing the real from the false. I know you think that you're very, very good at looking across this congregation and picking out the ones that don't belong. But you're not as good as you think you are at it. You really don't have eyes for that. You really don't have the patience for that notice that in the story Jesus says that that the farmer is like the Lord and the farmer says just let them grow together that takes time that takes incredible patience the weeds growing right there with the wheat every time you water the wheat you're also helping the weeds to grow every time you feed the good crop you're also feeding and allowing the weeds to grow and grow and how can you do that such patience the Lord has but the Lord says we're gonna let them just grow right there together because it's not time to sort them out yet. We're talking about people. People. We're not just talking about wheat and weeds. The point I think we should understand is that certain times in my life, I have been the weed in the church. Certain times in my life, I have been the one who was in sin. I have been the one who was doing the work of the evil one. I have been that person. And I praise God that Woodburn Baptist Church and my brothers and sisters here didn't weed me out back in the day when they would have had a mind to. I, I praise the Lord for your patience. I praise the Lord for his patience. We can't look at people and give up on them. We can't look at people and imagine that the story is over for them and therefore we can condemn them. That is not our place. We are not as good as we think we are at telling the good from the bad ones. And we certainly don't have the patience involved to make the judgments. You ever heard of a man named Tony Campolo? He's a very famous Christian author and a wonderful preacher and a Christian sociologist. Tony Campolo is an amazing Christian man of our time. Tony Campolo, in his role as a sociology professor, was doing some research regarding mainline denominations and the history of them in the United States. He was looking year by year at, at baptisms. And, and on a whim, as he was studying one day, he decided to look up his own denomination, his own church, in the year that he was baptized. And he found it. He found his old church in Philadelphia, the one that baptized him, and he looked up their records the year that Tony Campolo was baptized, this is what the church wrote. It was a horrible year. We lost 27 members, only baptized three, and they were just boys. Only baptized three, and they were just boys. But Tony Campolo immediately remembers that one of those boys was, was him, himself, Tony Campolo. One of those boys was... Tony Campolo, but then he remembered that year the other two boys, all three boys were nine years old, all three boys in the same Sunday school class, the other two boys Tony Campolo still knew, one was a missionary, the other was a seminary president in an international seminary in the continent of Africa. 
those three nine-year-old boys went on to have an enormous impact in the world for Christ's sake. But the church writes, we only baptized three and they were just boys. Understand, that church closed its doors a few years after that. You think it's because they didn't baptize enough people or they just weren't very good at recognizing the value of people. You understand? We really aren't as good as we think we are because we don't see far enough to judge. You haven't seen how I'm going to turn out yet. We haven't seen what God is going to do in the lives of every single one of us. You think you're going to start wood, weed pulling today? The Lord says, you better watch it. You better stop. That's not going to be your job. You're not as good as you think you are at distinguishing the good from the evil. And you're also just not patient enough. You can't see far enough to make the judgments that you think you can make. You're not patient enough. You know, probably the hardest truth of all of this, it's not just that I'm not as good at distinguishing the weeds from the wheat. It's not just that I'm not patient enough with, with you, but my brothers and sisters, The main reason I'm not going to be a real big part of the solution here and weeding out the bad ones is that I'm a big part of the problem. I'm not going to be a big part of the solution here. I'm not going to get turned loose to pull the weeds because honestly, I got weeds in me. I am not a big part of the solution here. I'm a big part of the problem and so are you. This is a very, very complicated matter. When we say there are just two kinds of people, I just want to stand up and scream. I don't know about that. I don't know if it's so easy to say these are weeds and these are wheat because honestly, I got weeds and wheat growing just inside my heart. I have a tremendous capacity to go either way and so do you. It's not just that I don't know enough to make a judgment about you. I'm not very good at making a judgment about myself. And the judgments I pass on myself tend to be a little overly generous. Do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever Googled your own name? Those of you who are are not Googlers understand I'm talking about sitting down at the computer, the world wide web, the internet, and putting your own name in. Do you know what happens if you put in your own name? You can find out about everybody in the world who has your name. How many of you have ever Googled yourself? Have you done it? Raise your hand. Yeah. Were you pleased with what you found? I put it off for a long, long time. Because honestly, I didn't want to see the people out there with my name. I didn't want to see all of the losers of the world walking around with Tim Harris. I just want to pull up and look at your pictures. I just somehow imagined everybody out there with my name was just going to be, you know, just the enormous doofuses. And I didn't want to know about them. You know what I'm saying? I just didn't want to see them. But I couldn't help it when I sat down and I typed in my name, Tim Harris. Googled it. Suddenly, all of the pictures come up of all of the Tim Harris's in the world. The first thing I noticed, I didn't even come up. I, the main one, the original one, I didn't even come up. The other thing I noticed was about four pictures in, this guy named Tim Harris. He's amazing. Now remember, I was kind of afraid that I'd Google and I'd find kind of dorkier versions of me. But this guy's amazing. His picture, he's sitting out like in, on the, in the African uh, Serengeti. You can see the African sunrise behind him. He looks like Indiana Jones. I, I went ahead and clicked on his picture and looked him up. This guy is a surfer. This guy is a wildlife photographer. He travels the world and he is handsome. 
He is muscular. He has perfect white teeth and a smile. And he's single, ladies. He's single. And you know what I had to face that day? It is not that I was going to find a dorkier version of me. I am, in reality, the dorky version of him. I am the dorky version of him. We're not very good at seeing ourselves, are we? I guess that's the difficulty of being in church because we always tend to judge ourselves very, very graciously. We have a tendency to overlook and underestimate the extent of all of our faults. And we also have an opposite tendency to look at everybody else and, and magnify their faults. We read a story like the weeds and the wheat and we think, my goodness, I would just love to get turned loose in our church. I would love to start weed pulling today. And some of you would, honestly. You honestly think that the church would be better if you could just weed out a few. And you could name them by name and you could say why they should go. And I'm telling you, slow down. Slow down. You really don't know all that you think you know about other people. And you really don't see everything you think you see in other people. And most importantly, you really don't see what needs to be seen about yourself. You really might not meet the the good, beautiful wheat that you think you are. Because I know I'm not. Church is messy. But it's God's mess. And it is God's field. And it is God who is creating something wonderful with people like us, people like you, and people like me. And because God is involving himself with people, this is gradual, slow kind of work. We're talking the work that takes place over weeks and months and years. And you and I have very little patience for that with other people. But God has tremendous patience with all of us. It takes time to transform us. It takes time for us to become the people, the men and women that God wants us to be. It takes time. And God is perfectly willing to give it time. That's what the scripture says. Let them grow. Let them grow. Now there is going to come a day when God himself will sort us out, and he will. And when God does it, God will judge us with perfect wisdom and with perfect justice. God will open all of the books. God will know all of the facts. God will make perfect judgments because God himself is perfect. He has perfect vision. He has perfect love. You and I have none of these things. We're never going to be the judges. Jesus says that the field is the world. And the farmer who sows the seed is the son of man, sowing the good people of the kingdom of God. The enemy is the devil. One of his strategies to sow confusion is simply to put there right in the middle, right there beside every good person, you're going to see a sore head. Right there in the middle of every good gracious person, there's going to be a rat fink right there in the middle, always mixed in together. And they'll always be mixed in together. And it makes sense to us to do some weed pulling. It makes sense to us to clean that up. But honestly, that will never be our job. The farmer says, just let them grow. Let them grow. I think the point for me and you, number one, is to grow. You and I are to concentrate on being a part of that good 
sweet. We're to be a part of that people of the kingdom of God that, that Jesus himself is trying to sow and nurture and develop in the world. That's our job. You concentrate on growing. You concentrate on rooting out all of the sin in your own life, all of the ugliness, all of the bitterness, all of the judgmentalism. You root that out of your own heart. Concentrate on that. Leave the weed pulling to Jesus. Leave the weed pulling to Jesus. Pray with me. God, if, if I were to start pulling weeds today and if I were to begin in my own heart, by the end of time I will have gotten no further than my own heart. God, the evil one has sown his seeds in my heart. And Lord, I recognize there are many, many things in me that do not belong. And God, I thank you for your patience. And I thank you for the gracious way in which you deal with me and with all of us. Lord, our lives are a mess. Each and every one of us, Lord, our lives are not tidy. So what makes us think that when we come together as a church, that somehow the church would be any tidier, any less messy? God, help us to have patience with one another and to forgive one another and to bear with one another as the scripture says. Help us to love and to love and to love and to leave all of the weed pulling and all of the judging, Lord, to you, the only one qualified to judge. Lord, I pray that today you would look deep into our hearts and show us what our true selves and help us, Lord, to be true. God, there probably are some in our midst who do not know you. Right here in the middle of us, Lord, there are non-Christians among the Christians. And Lord, I pray that you would convict their hearts and guide them, Lord, to know the truth and to live the truth. Lord, there are hypocrites among us. We are the hypocrites, every single one of us, Lord. We can't possibly practice everything we preach. But Lord Jesus, we thank you for grace and we thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for one more day where you can change us, make us to be the people you intend that we be. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace. Help us, Lord, to show that same patience and grace toward every other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.